I think the problem is a lot of people take it at face value, you know? They think, oh, he's singing about drugs. He's singing about sex. He must really be into all that stuff. And he's not? Well, he's an intelligent man. He knows what he's doing. He clearly loves the genre, and if you know anything about the genre, you realize what he's doing. What do you mean? It's like a really good horror movie, you know? That's, that's kind of tactfully over the top. One that is both parts an homage to the genre and an uh, accentuation of it. Look at the movie You're Next, for example. I don't know. That's kind of a stretch. I think the dude's just in it for the money. Dude, I strongly disagree. I think he's making a pretty cool statement, and he's being slightly subversive about it. You can't go outright in parody genre, especially if you love it. You, you have to employ the same tropes and concepts that are established within it, and you use them to excess, with tech, to kind of bring attention to the genre itself. I hear what you're saying, but I think you're giving him too much credit. I feel like his shit would be weirder if that were true. No way, man. It's, it's so easy to just be weird. It's much harder to adhere to a formula and then get weird from within those parameters. You play with people's expectations. You risk being taken at face value, but if you do it well, you'll certainly affect people, even if they don't understand why. I don't know, man. You think about this shit way too much. What's the matter with you? Nothing. I'm just sick of hearing you defend hacks like these. Dude, how long has it been since you've eaten? Why does it matter? Because I know you. I know how pissy you get when you're hungry. Whatever. I'm, I'm fine. You ran out of food, didn't you? I don't want to talk about it. I told you. I told you it wasn't going to last. That healthy shit you eat that can never fill you up. You need the real thing, man. A nice piece of meat and you'll be back in good shape. I hate eating that shit. Too bad. Look at us. We're in the middle of nowhere. You're definitely not going to get your fancy fee shit out here, so stop being so goddamn picky. There's no way I'm going to sit in a car with you when you're hungry like this. Well, what do you want me to do about it? Look, there's a gas station coming up. We need money anyways. I'm sure you can find something to eat there. Come on, let's let's just go a little longer. You want to go back, Joe? Is that what you want? Back to... him? We need to stick to the plan. And the plan doesn't involve me slitting your throat because I can't handle your attitude anymore. Jesus, fine, I'll eat. Alright, I'm going to get us another car. You get us some money, okay? Why do I have to? Because I did it the last two times, Joe. Come on, be a part of this, won't you? Fine. And Joe, eat something. And this concludes part one of The Devil Dines In. He's evil. Hello, and welcome to Tuesdays with Gory, a horror movie podcast where we talk about horror movies. Hi, Dio. I'm Joseph Blansky. And I am Justin Fink. And we're happy to be here. Very happy to be here. Happy horror movie month. Happy Halloween. Uh, Joe, you uh, watch any good movies this week? Yes. I watched not that many, <laughs> only a little bit. Uh-huh. I watched Halloween 2 immediately after we did our last podcast. Really? Which was pretty disappointing. Yes, not a good movie. I watched Never Sleep Again, Uh the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. Ah, yes, very entertaining. Or at least some of it. It's really long. Uh Uh-huh. But But you made it it through when they talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. 
And that is by far the best part. <laughs> <laughs> that and when they talk about the television show, Freddy's Freddy's Nightmares. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very enlightening. I need to go back and finish it. Uh-huh. That was under your recommendation, actually. Mm-hmm. And then also we watched Unfriended together. That is correct. Yeah, we went over to our buddy Austin's apartment and watched that. What do you think of that movie? After being on a lot of social media and editing the podcast oh, yeah. and being in front of a computer screen, it was even more claustrophobic. <laughs> and I wanted to not like the movie, but in the end, I guess I liked it. Yeah, I mean, I liked it too. <laughs> I, I thought they did a good job with uh, what they were working with. Yeah, what with what they were working with. Yeah. <laughs> it was convincing at least. I mean, it was just <laughs> one, one POV the whole movie. I can't think of any other movie that's done that. It was so silly. <laughs> Which, yeah, watching it on a television... I don't know if it would have been better on a laptop or not, which was the entire POV if you're not Uh, familiar with this movie. I think it would have been best, like laying in bed with a laptop on your chest. Uh, I watched, this movie just came out yesterday called Final Girls. Final Uh, Girls? Yeah, it's got a limited release right now. Uh, It's a great movie. It's especially great if you love horror movies. I'll I'll give you a plot breakdown. It's awesome. Please, please. It's about this girl... And her mother passed away. She didn't pass away. She died in a car crash three years before. And her mother starred in this horror film called like Camp Blood or something like that in the 80s. And it was like clearly supposed to be Friday the 13th, like very similar killer and setup and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she <laughs> gets exactly. Yeah. She gets convinced to go to a screening of this film. <laughs> and while at the film, a fire breaks out. And her and her friends, uh, in an effort to escape, end up entering the movie. Ooh, yeah, and they. So re- this gets like meta, meta, super meta, and it's awesome. <laughs> and like the characters uh, are all there, and like are totally stuck in their one dimension, which was awesome to see. Playing uh, all, like off of stereotypes. Exactly. Yeah, and movie tropes. But it's it's surprisingly sweet, you know, because her mom is in it. But it's her mom's character, not actually her mom. Mm. But it's uh, it's it's got some uh, emotional heft to it. I enjoyed it. I also watched... What is that called again? Final Girls. Final Girls. Yeah. All right. Highly recommend it. I thought it was a great time. Um, I also watched Friday the 13th, part two and three. Oh, I love those movies. <laughs> um, two was great. Three was kind of a snoozer for me. It's just more of the second. <laughs> What's yeah. not to love? Whatever. It's basically a remake <laughs> of the second, but like with worse acting. Two surprisingly had some decent writing and acting. I love the that the the final girl in that one was like a child psychologist, and mm-hmm. she knew how to work Jason at the end when she finds that shrine, the altar. Yeah, it's uh, one of the most horrific images uh, in horror yeah. movies with, to me with jason's decapitated mom yes her head <laughs> like on a table with her sweater beautiful i actually i remember back in spoiler city guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i remember when we uh used to go to blockbuster all the time i remember looking at the back of covers for slasher films and i remember looking at the back of friday the 13th part two and one of the pictures on the back was the decapitated head shrine. <laughs> so it spoiled it right on the back. Totally, yeah. They didn't give a shit. They're just like, this is the coolest image. Great movie. I like the second one a lot. Third one is a shit show. I like it. And Whatever. they uh, they made it to be 3D. And it's really funny, all the like 
The third one? Yeah, all you oh, didn't that, know that? No, that makes more sense. Yeah, all oh, the that's de- great. all the deliberate like knives at the screen and like things going towards the <laughs> screen. It's so so tacky. Speaking of uh, histories and box art, uh, let's get into some horror movie histories. Oh, totally. One that I'd like to talk about, which jumps off something you mentioned last time, is dads and old monster movies. <laughs> is my father got me into, or he, yeah, he was a fan of old Universal monster movies, mm-hmm. and I used to go to the library and check out books that were summaries of these movies <laughs> and look at the pictures and read them. Some of the first things I read... Oh, how sweet. I remember my favorites were Creature from the Black Lagoon and Mm. The Attack of the Praying Mantis. Oh, nice. And then also was seeing a book at my elementary school that had images from John Carpenter's The Thing, Mm. which horrified me and gave me awful nightmares of the alien as, you know, different morphed body parts of people and spider legs. Oh, gosh. That's hilarious that they would have that in a elementary school library. <laughs> totally inappropriate. <laughs> Gave me nightmares for a decade. But awesome. Totally <laughs> awesome. I wanted to mention sleepovers and how important yes. those are and just <laughs> swallowing down whole franchises at a time. My cousins and I, it was me and my little sister and then my cousins and they had a little brother, Ross, who's... He was kind of a shit at the time. I love him now, but he would always like <laughs> rat on us for sneaking into movies and stuff. Oh, what a square. I know, but he would hang out with us. He loved them. He was even younger than us, which is disturbing because we were like eight or nine. So he was like six. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we would. Super scared. One of our parents would drive us to Blockbuster and we would just load up on either all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, Friday the 13th, Hellraiser. They let you get those? Yeah, they didn't give a shit. It Lucky. was awesome. Lucky. I know. I know. <laughs> At least not my parents. I had to use my friend's parents. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Well, actually, my family was like the dredge of the neighborhood. I lived in a neighborhood with a bunch of kids and we would like play a lot. And they all came over for a sleepover once and we watched Scream. Yes, such uh, a sleepover movie for yeah, me, oh, too. Yeah, totally, yeah. And uh, after that, one of them told their parents, and then all the parents freaked out that we watched this movie. Like, we were nine years old. and My cousin got in trouble for showing me and my brother's <laughs> scream. We had to sneak the sequels every year when they would come out and oh, watch nice. it after the parents fell asleep. Uh, it's like, all right, parents are asleep. Time for R-rated scream. Uh-huh. Man, it was so easy for me. I would just be like, Mom, I'm going to the video store. Bye. <laughs> Lucky we had to be like, all right, we know which button to press if we hear them. So it looks uh, like we're watching like MTV. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we watched Scream at the sleepover and then the parents found out and none of the kids in my neighborhood were allowed to go in my house ever again. Ever again. <laughs> ever again. They were forbidden <laughs> from going in my house, the house where horror lives. <laughs> <laughs> Justin from the House of Horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a little chunk of our horror history. Uh, and now we want to talk about the film we watched this week, which is the John Carpenter classic, 1978's Halloween. So this is your favorite horror movie? This is my all-time favorite horror movie. I think it just... Hits you in so many different levels. Uh, Let me run through the plot really quick. Please, yes. I've only seen it once and would not be able to do it for you. (laughs) This is my second time viewing it. Yeah, well, it's very... Run it by me. It's a very simple movie. First of all, I absolutely love movies that predominantly take place in one night or one day, Uh, especially if it's just like one place or very few settings. I think that's 
makes for far more interesting cinema. When adds for adds to claustrophobia too. Definitely, yeah, yeah. The opening scene is basically Michael Myers as a boy killing his older sister, uh, and then we cut forward to fifteen years later. He's twenty-one years old, and he escapes from this uh, insane asylum steals a car <laughs> and drives to Haddonfield uh, for no other reason that we know of than to just wreak havoc on Haddonfield. And we'll go into that later, why we think he kills. And then the rest of the movie follows Laurie Strode, who is a 17 year old girl. She's very uh, bookish, very smart, you know, and she's very, she's kind of quiet and good natured. Uh, and she's, one of only characters who sense the danger that is coming, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. But anyways, it follows her, and she's babysitting on Halloween night, which she's clearly unhappy about, that she doesn't have much of a fun social teenager life. And while she's babysitting, uh, her friends are systematically stalked and killed by Michael Myers. She eventually <laughs> finds it out. They have a showdown. She gives him a run for his money, for sure. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a great time, a wonderful time. Uh, the wonderful Donald Pleasance plays Sam Loomis, who is... Dr. Sam Loomis. Dr. Sam Lewis, who is Michael Myers's psychiatrist. He's known Michael since he was first admitted into the asylum, and uh, he's got that quote, you may be able to quote it better. I think you wrote down a bunch of the quotes, but it... what is it? Uh, yes, he spent eight years trying to reach him, and then seven years trying to keep him locked up. Yes, he has the blackest eyes, the yes. devil's eyes, the devil's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's awesome. Uh, his speeches are just incredible. I guess John Carpenter co-wrote the script with his then girlfriend Deborah Hill, who also produced the film, and he. Mm. He had her write all the female dialogue. Oh, nice. While he focused more on Sam Loomis's speeches. Nice. Which is awesome uh, to have two different voices in it because it's really, uh, their dialogue does feel authentic. It feels like teenage girls, you know, they're talking about, uh, you know, teenage girls stuff like boys and the dances coming up and, you know, they give each other a hard time in a very authentic way. And then Sam Loomis is this very, you know, characteresque, these profound monologues. Like nobody talks Morbid like Morbid and prophetic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's got like such insights about evil and Michael Myers and what he represents. It's it's cool to see those shifts in characters, something that uh, would be hard to see if just one person wrote the script. So how did they all, co- all come together at the final conclusion of the movie after she has hit her right, run with him? Right, well... Uh, Sam Loomis, he's like he's in Haddonfield because he knows that Michael Myers wants to go back, and he's he's serving the land, trying to find where he is, and he eventually sees these kids uh, that Laurie was babysitting. You know, mm. she tells him like, you know, I need you to go down to the uh, like I forget the name, like the Studemaker's house, <laughs> and have them call the police. Like, go now! So they run out of the house screaming. The McKinley's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They run out of the house screaming. McKenzie. Dr. Sam Dr. Sam Loomis sees the kids, goes, oh, shit. <laughs> kids are running from a house. Michael Myers is definitely this in is there. This is my chance. I've been waiting in the bushes all night. Yeah, yeah. He was waiting outside the Myers house all night waiting for Michael to come. Scaring kids. Yes, trying <laughs> to scare kids away. Uh, 
but he eventually shoots Michael Myers five times. He falls off <laughs> of the balcony, and in the final moments, when Laurie was like, is that the boogeyman? And Donald Pleasance goes, as a matter of fact, it is. And then he goes to check on Michael's body, and of course, Michael is no longer there. And we have... <sighs> yes, yes, and then it cuts to the breathing, and we have all these beautiful shots of all the key scenes in the movie and you really just get this feeling of this pervading all pervasive evil that kind of surrounds the whole place and it makes Michael Myers less of a human and more of just this embodiment of evil yeah the shape the shape yes yes uh and you can't kill the boogeyman (laughs) (laughs) and i love i love 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 the breathing in this movie that's something that they did not do uh for the rest of the franchise they never did that again oh whoa i didn't know that yeah yeah uh and it's it's so effective it's so signature especially it's like the signature sound of the movie just kind of how like Uh, 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 yeah yeah (laughs) to friday the 13th Uh, yeah well it totally links you up to his almost his emotional state inside Um, the mask yes because he's usually like watching girls undress watching people have sex or just stalking laurie strode and just like breathing heavily uh, so another thing I want to talk about is how Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, they almost have this, it's, it's almost like a tragic love story. Total romance. Yeah. Well, Michael sees Laurie in the beginning when she drops off keys at the- At his mother's house. Yeah. His the, childhood home. His childhood home. And he's there and he sees her. And I'm I'm led to believe that that's why you know he sees her. He he could very well falls and he takes a fancy to her. That's for sure. He and brought the keys to my house. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> she <laughs> yeah. brought the keys to my house. Yeah, I could use those. <laughs> uh, but anyways, from that point on, he follows her around and follows her friends. And stalks her at school. Yes. Stalks her on her way home from school. And it's it's inter- even when she even when she's walking with her friends. Mm-hmm. And talking, they're talking about. Uh, she suddenly forgets her chemistry. She was like, "Oh, I forgot my chemistry book." Inter- yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're talking about fate, and he's there. And then another scene, she's talking about chemistry, and he's there. Um, and it's 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 interesting too. The little game they play of of looking at each other from far away. Oh, totally. And and it's interesting too. Um, if you think about. It's interesting, too, if you think about Laurie Strode, how she is kind of aching for some male affection. And then here's Michael like literally stalking her and she sees mm. him. And there's this you can kind of sense this part of her that's a little almost intrigued by it. Like she is like somebody's taking fancy or, you know, she she knows it's not good, but it, it it just plays up to her. Is this my imagination or not? I don't know. Yeah. But I'll just let it go. And it it's plays up to her, you know, the sexual repression in her character. Um, and it's interesting that. And and he is, too, in how childlike he is. Oh, totally. And that's, that's He's just a boy. And that's interesting, too, is the idea that, like, Dr. Sam Loomis is like, he's evil. He's pure evil when... I mean, really, I I take it away that he's just he's a stunted child who doesn't know that murder is bad. 
You know, he, he loves Halloween. He loves scaring people and he loves killing people. He finds a costume and a mask. Uh huh. Yeah. And a prop. Right. <laughs> it's like, and that was a thing I wrote down. It's like, why does he wear a mask? And it's like, well, duh. He's, he loves Halloween. He loves being a kid. This is, this to him is what being a kid is, is murdering people. He's just playing with them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Like our, our perception of what's evil. And what is just, you know, stunted in development or what is just, you know, people who can't feel compassion at all. When he's, yeah, when he stabs the one guy and into the wall, he like stares at him afterwards. Like he's unsure of what he did almost. Yeah, yeah. He's he's really studying it. Like, uh, almost like, almost like he's like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like he... he it's this game he's playing with these people that he's stalking and then like he scares them and then he kills them. And in the scene, you almost assume he's like, uh, what are you doing? Like, come on, let's keep come playing. On. Like he does it like a cat with a mouse being like, uh, come on, what are you, yeah. you, you, you're not playing back with me anymore. What am I doing? He has no understanding of death. Time for the next one. <laughs> yeah. I guess I got to find someone else to play with now. And now back to the devil dines in. Howdy. Um, you you okay, son? Look, just give me your money. I don't want to make this ugly. Hey, excuse me. Just do it. Oh, Lord. Okay, okay. Here, uh, this is all I have. Come on, man. Don't make this hard. Under the drawer. Come on. Oh my. Okay, okay. Here. Good. What are What are you doing? Um, um, nothing. Um, um, are there any, are there any hospitals around here? Oh, boy, uh, you're good ways from any of that. Three hours at least. Three hours. I can wait three hours. You hurt or something? No, just shut the fuck up. I'm gonna get out of here, but I don't want to hear a sound from you, okay? I got a friend outside who makes a sport out of ripping jaws off people's faces. Uh, Of course, I'll be fine. You better be. You son of a bitch! I wish you hadn't done that. And this concludes part two of The Devil Dines In. Hello, and welcome back to Tuesdays with Gory. Heidi Hill. We're here talking about John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween. Yes, we are. And Joe, you know what time it is? It's time for the death toll. <laughs> Bring out your dead. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie is pretty sparse in terms of deaths as far as slasher films are concerned. Indeed. Uh, but let's go through the list, the short list. Yes, the hit first, me, hit me. I'm going to hit you. <laughs> Coming in at number one. Is Michael Myers' older sister, Judith Myers, uh, who had just taken part in coitus with a man who abruptly left. And then she's naked, combing her hair, and Michael stabs her to death as a six-year-old boy. (laughs) All right, coming in at number two, we have a mechanic who we don't see getting killed, but this is where Michael gets his jumpsuit. Off-camera kill. That's right. Coming in at number three <laughs> is a dog. Oh. 
Yeah, when Cruel. Michael when Michael is stalking Annie, who is babysitting, uh, the dog was outside giving him a hard time, so he decided to. We don't see it really. We just see his legs going limp. Strangulation but of dog. We assume he either strangled or crushed his skull. Did something to quiet the dog. Coming in at number four is Annie. Uh, Annie gets choked in her car, and then Michael Myers slits, slices her throat. Coming in at number five is Bob, the shortest lived character in the movie. Uh, Bob goes (laughs) down to get a beer. Michael Myers takes him by the neck and chokes him a while, lifts him up, and then stabs him through his stomach, mounting him to the wall. That was a wonderful death. And stares at him like a predator. (laughs) (laughs) And then next, coming in number six, the last kill of the movie is Linda. Michael Myers has a sheet over him. He's dressed as a ghost. He eventually... Spooky! He eventually chokes Linda to death with a phone cord, which... Lori had just called her, uh, hears all of this. And Is this, this a prank? Yes, and this allows Lori, it gives her the impetus to check out the house, having her finally become face-to-face with Michael Myers. And that, my friends, is the death toll. Woo. Thanks, Justin. Oh, you're welcome. Well, there weren't actually many gross outs in this movie i don't there know were what, none i don't know what to do with my <laughs> what I, my intended segment we might have to scratch that so instead i'm going to sacrifice my segment mm-hmm. to talk about spoiler city ah, and yes. how this movie which i'd only seen once before and wasn't that happy with i really didn't like it last time because the movie i felt was ruined for me right we're going to talk about spoilers in, in movies this movie was already told to me before I had ever seen it. Like, as a myth, when kids tell campfire stories, I had been told about Mike Myers and how he had killed his sister and came back to get his sister. But Mm -hmm. none of this stuff is actually in the first movie. No. This is added in plot. Yes. And so... When I had first seen this movie, I, like, half paid attention and, like, already knew all the backstory and didn't appreciate it at all for the... what I have seen it now, like looking at it, you know, looking at it closely. Yes. Well, uh, interesting trivia. When John Carpenter made Halloween, he never ever intended there to ever be a sequel. It was going to stand as its own. Michael Myers was going to remain this completely mysterious figure. And to me, and I think most movie audiences, the mystery there is the most terrifying part of like, why is he killing the f- mere fact that something could be driven to kill like that without any clear motive is is scary and it's terrifying and we'll, we'll we'll get into that in the themes soon. And anyways, the first one did so well, so unexpectedly well that obviously they were going to make more just to make money. And they told John Carpenter they're like, "Hey, we're going to make a sequel. Will you direct it?" And he was like, "Absolutely no way. Like I want yes. to, you know." <laughs> and then they're like, "Well, will you at least write the screenplay?" And he was like, no. And they're like, we will give you this much money. And he was like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I can go on and like make the next movie I want to make. Smart. So he took the job. And I was watching this documentary where he talks about when he was writing the script, he was just drink a six pack of beer every night, just hunch <laughs> over the typewriter going, 
how the hell am I going to make this movie go any further? So he had to throw in the backstory with Michael Myers is Laurie Strode's sister, brother, and that's why he's out to get her. And it's all so unnecessary. And that's why, to me, the first one is just such a disparate entity from the rest of the films, even H2O. Because that one still that sticks. was the first one that I saw. Oh man, that would just ruin <laughs> just the series. For so you. silly. And then I saw the second one, and I was like, "Why do people even like this?" Yes, yes. So I understand. When I watch Halloween, I do not even think about any of the lore that was introduced into the sequels. I just take it at face value, which is way more scary, way more enjoyable. It's interesting how sometimes a spoiler can either still make you like a movie or make you dislike a movie. Yeah. And originally it had me so so dislike it. Mhm. Mhm. So uh what uh, you I had already seen when I saw the movie it was ruined for me. Yes. So what what do you, what have you taken on this movie from having being able to have a raw impression of it throughout uh, your life? yes. If you well, want to get into some themes well, please. Well, it sounds like we are segueing into the themes segment of our show. <laughs> Anyways, so the first major theme I gathered from revisiting this movie in my adulthood, I should mention, I first saw this movie when I was eight years old. I absolutely loved it. Lucky. I loved it my whole life. Uh, and revisiting it, it's such a joy to realize that there is so much to this movie uh, that I loved at such an early age that I didn't pick up on. First of all, the biggest theme that I pick up from it is that of sexual repression. Mm-hmm. I believe... Lori is so sexually repressed. Oh, totally, yeah. Lori is a teenage girl who's not getting any, who obviously... Jamie Lee Curtis in her debut breakout role. Yeah, this is her first role. She did a wonderful job. Obviously, she's an amazing actress. And her character, Lori Strode, you assume that she's she's trying to live up to this ideal of she even says at some point to herself, like, uh, oh, the old Girl Scout comes through again. You know, she's helping her friend out so her friend Babys- can get laid. Well, she's babysitting the Exactly. Kids. So she's like this good girl. She's living up to this image. She's really good in school, uh, but awkward around guys and doesn't know how to let loose and have fun. And because of that, she has a lot of sexual repression. And her it's- friend even has to set her up with a guy and be like, oh, yeah, she likes you. And she's yeah. like, why did you say and that? And she was horrified by that. Yeah, yeah. And it was that scene in the car when Lori and, um, and Annie are talking yes, about Annie. boys, I thought it was really sweet. And it really shows this like, really vulnerable side to Lori Strode. And you can tell mm. that that's something that um, it's, a, it's a touchy subject for her. You can tell it's something that she really wants but she feels ill-equipped. She she says at some point, uh, bo- you know, boys think I'm too smart. So mm-hmm. already she believes that the person that she is, you know, she has interest in academics and in- she's highly intellectual. Uh, and she already believes that this is the reason why she can't enjoy her youth or enjoy these urges she has. So anyways, she's sexually repressed. And it's interesting, when this movie came out, a lot of people were accusing John Carpenter of having this m- morality play here where he was hmm, saying that all the characters that drink or have sex or you know are foul mouth or whatever they get murdered. Oh totally, but that's also a staple of most slasher films. Right, right, but up to this point not really, you know, this was kind of huh. s- this kind of set the mold for the slasher film. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and 
John Carpenter was quoted in an interview. He was he was basically saying like that's that's baloney. Like I don't I don't think that at all. All, all I was saying is that Laurie Strode was the only one who was not preoccupied with sex and drinking mm. whatever and because of that she had her wits to her she and was she, more she, mature right right she was able to so if anything it's it's a it's a testament to the distraction that sex is it doesn't say that sex is bad but it's definitely something that especially i mean we all know what it's like to be teenagers uh which is another theme i'll get into that later but anyway sexual repression so laurie Schroeder is sexually repressed and it's interesting because she is the only one who penetrates michael actually she pokes <laughs> him with the only the, one who hurts him she she pokes him with a sewing needle she stabs him in the eye with a hanger and, and stabs, stabs him, him through, with, yeah. with his own knife you know and if you look at those they're all kind of phallic symbols interesting uh, yeah so that's an intro and now let's flip it on to michael myers yes who yes. is like old the ultimate figure of like male sexual repression just that breath the fact that he stalks these women behind a mask. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, he, yeah, the mask just kind of keeps his distance from wearing, him and them. Wearing like a worker uniform of a, just like a jumpsuit. One oh, piece. yeah, yeah. The type of like uh, occupation that you would imagine that like a lot of men who a lot of men who hold such jobs are the type that would like catcall women or, you know, be like thoroughly aggressive with their sexuality. Which Michael Myers, in my understanding of his character, and this is all, it's all left open to debate in the movie, but my understanding of his character is that from a young age, you know, he had these sexual feelings, and I believe he had them for his sister. Oh, yes, because he's staring at his sister at the beginning of yes. the movie. Also he, through a mask. It doesn't, he doesn't look at her until yes, through a mask. Yes, yes, yes. So him murdering is almost an expression of this sexual impulse he has. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it it speaks to how, and I'm sure you experienced this growing up, how sex is not talked about at all in our culture. He doesn't in, talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in terms of like, uh, you know, having a healthy dialogue, like letting kids, especially uh, letting teenagers know that like sex is a natural part of life, that you just have to be responsible with it. Those conversations never happen. So I feel like this movie is a testament to that, that Michael Myers has these feelings. Sex is taboo. You don't talk about it. So what's he going to do with it? And it manifests in this like, well, I'm just going to murder, you know, because that's how I'm going to penetrate these women. Ah. Yeah. So that's. Uh, but he also doesn't just penetrate. He he strangles people. Most he of the likes time. to strangle. He's a the strangler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, that's another part. We'll jump into that theme, actually, too, is just this idea of evil. He doesn't uh, directly, yeah, he doesn't directly kill people. He plays like a game with them beforehand. He loves, yeah, it's it's this childlike thing for him. And what kind, yeah, what kind of impulses does he have? Uh-huh. Well, Dr. Sam Loomis talks about how, you know, he's he's even as a boy, he was a boy with no conscience, no understanding of right and wrong, which is interesting to me to define evil that way. So it's not like he knows he's doing wrong. It's just that he wants to kill. He's overcome with this this urge to kill, and he doesn't just want to kill. He wants to make people afraid, and he wants to scare them, and he wants to toy with them. And he only does it on Halloween, where they say, <laughs> you know, like this idea of like Samhain, and Halloween is this night where all evil comes out to play. Is that in this movie, or is that added in the second one? 
They add that later. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. added in the second one. Now keep. Let's try to keep this uh, thematically within the own one if we're going to talk about it. No, 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 no. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. They don't directly say that, but that's. I mean, in in interviews with Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, they said when they were making this, they were trying to think of Halloween and this idea oh. of how Halloween is the night that evil comes out to play. Oh, okay. So that so was it, like that it, w- it is like not just kind of haphazardly at, like added to the script. Oh of the no, 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 no. It's just like. Like we're covering thematically Michael Myers and you really get that sense at the very end when because this is the first time when he gets shot five times. Obviously, he's got like poked in the neck. He got poked in the eye. He got stabbed once. He's a big guy. We could understand how he survived that. Mm -hmm. But he gets shot five times. Then he falls off a balcony like lands on the ground and then he disappears. He gets up and walks away, which we don't see happen. Mm-hmm. But this, this is the first time that we realize that Michael Myers is not just a super resilient man, that there is something uh, supernatural to him. He's not a man. Yeah. He's no man. <laughs> what kind of man could do this? He's no man. So anyways, yeah. That's... He's the boogeyman, which is another thing they repeatedly refer to him as yes, the little void. Yes. Well, let's, that's a great segue into the next theme, which is uh, the idea of superstition versus knowledge. Hmm. Um, like you said, there there's several mentions of the boogeyman, mm-hmm. which is something that only... What's the boogeyman? Yes, yes, which is something that only kids really obsess over. You know, it's it's a childish thing. For an adult, even a 17-year-old, to believe in the boogeyman, that's seen as highly childish. And that's what's so significant and why at the end when Laurie Strode is like, was that the boogeyman? And then Dr. Sam Loomis goes, as a matter of fact, it was. (laughs) And then he, and then Michael Myers gets up, he's disappeared, and then we see Laurie Strode crying. And those tears are her realizing that this, like, this thing she was trying to write off is, like, because she had this gut feeling even in the beginning when she first sees Michael. They keep having this dance of of seeing each other yes. and staring at each other from far away. Yes, yes. And, and she... I think like three or five times before they, like, in the beginning of the movie. It's really ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> and, well, it, it speaks to how she has good reason to believe that something's not right, but she's telling herself, Lori... And, and the kids. Yeah, yeah. She's telling herself, Lori, you're a grown woman... You're just like, it's Halloween, you're in your head, you're freaking yourself out. But at the end, she learns that like her deepest fears were true. Mm. And she was trying to comfort herself the whole movie, but realizing that uh, you know your deepest superstition actually holds weight in reality is one of the most terrifying things a human can experience. Some of th- and then, obviously, there's also the theme of suburbia, which is a big thing in slasher movies, uh, mm-hmm. about suburbia being this kind of, you know, a lot of these... Slasher movies take place in suburbs that are predominantly white. You know, these people flee from the city to live in gated communities because they want to feel safe. They want to feel protected from, you know, the debauchery of the city. And that's what makes this so terrifying is that somebody invades this this safety bubble that they build for themselves. The sheriff keeps trying to tell uh, Dr. Loomis that the city's, the city's fine. You know, there's families here. We have nothing right. to worry about. And he's like, no, evil has come to your town. Yes, yes. He doesn't want to believe that his perfect suburbia has been penetrated by evil. Uh-huh. This unspeakable evil that is unstoppable or you have to be prepared. Yes, yes. And then uh, my last theme I want to talk about is obviously just death itself. Michael Myers obviously represents death 
the way death stalks, the way that in any waking moment, a human being on a primordial level and a psychological level knows that they can die and how that is just like an underlying dread, sometimes more prevalent in some people, uh, but especially for teenagers who really have no grasp on life, but they're still, they have a natural inclination to know that death is real. Um, There's even a scene when they're in the car, they're saying, don't fear the reaper. And the song's playing. Yeah, yeah. And then Lori's in class. (laughs) Don't fear the reaper. Lori's in class and they're talking about fate, about how like fate is an unmovable mountain. So it's like death has finally caught up with the people in this movie uh and it's the first time that her and mike myers exchange eye contact that's right yeah at the school while they're talking about fate Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i think a lot of great horror movies uh exemplify that our fear of our own mortality and the fact that death is stalking us breathing escapable breathing heavily (laughs) through a mask so those uh Man, I could talk for two more hours, three more hours about this film, but it, those are it, the biggest themes I take away from it. It really transcends the slasher genre by adding a lot more to it than your typical slasher films that try to yeah. imitate it afterwards and do it incorrectly. Yes. Rather through more gore or more blood. Like, this movie doesn't have much blood. No. I kept wanting to be like, oh, show me, show me. I but know. it's like, no, you don't see it. You just see, like, the knife and maybe get blood on yeah. the knife, but there's no, like ketchup on the walls or like gerst, like, uh-huh. like bursting blood it's the complete opposite of the last movie right. that we watched well it, yeah well like one thing that makes this movie so terrifying is that the pace is very slow and it's it's not gratuitous and we've got these long shots they can't teleport mike myers can't teleport <laughs> yeah yeah you know we have these long shots of the girls walking or michael myers watching somebody and it really takes its time and what this creates is it, it creates this pace that is very similar to real life, which makes mm-hmm. it much scarier, makes it feel like I'm not just watching a movie. I'm actually watching people live and eventually get killed. Like it really, it's really to me, engaging. Yeah, it feels sense of time is real. Yes, it feels like, oh, this is this is actually what, um, you know, a, a man who is more of an animal who loves to stalk his prey and then kill them like this is what this would actually look like. <laughs> so anyways, four out of four stars from me, my favorite horror movie of all time, Halloween, John Carpenter, your God. You really made me uh, enjoy this movie. I really liked it this time around. Good. I'm so glad to hear. Added to my list of favorite slasher films. Awesome. Well, should we uh, should we talk about what we're going to watch next week? Well, we've covered a zombie movie. That's right, City we, of the Living Dead. We've covered a slasher movie. Halloween. And next we're going to do a werewolf movie. The Howling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Joe Dante's 1981, The Howling. Mm-hmm. Oh! And this is our first uh, audience recommendation, isn't it? Yes, we're going to be here with a friend of mine named Shay Cahill. That's right. Who will be... She loves this movie, and she will be running us through it and how much she loves it and why. And I will be meeting her and this movie for the first time. I haven't seen it either. This is all new to us. Is it new to you, listeners? (laughs) Let us know. Oh, also, uh, you guys know the Mercast number. Joe, what's that real quick? Oh, gosh. Wait, I don't have it on me. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll punch it in. Uh, If you guys have any comments or... uh, 
any critiques or anything to do with any horror movie, particularly the ones that we talked about or will watch, feel free to call the Murkass hotline, leave a message, and we will try to fit it in into the episode. And I think that's it for this week's installment of Tuesdays with Gory. Until next time. And now, for the thrilling conclusion of The Devil Dines In. There! Now don't you feel better? I hate it when they scream like that. Oh, I hate when they scream like that. When are you just going to accept what you are? You need to eat, and they are here for us to eat. It's just so barbaric. It's... It's not necessary anymore. We don't have to kill to live these days. Those blood bags you lift from hospitals, it's just not the same. You need your blood straight from the flesh and you know it. It's just, just, it's just not right. Shit. What? It's him. What should we do? Just, just stay put. We'll have to stall him. Hello, boys. Just let us be free, man. I'm afraid I can't do that. You see, you boys belong to me, and I get very distraught when my belongings desert me. That's bullshit. Come on, man. You got, you've got so many people working for you, and they're happy to do so. We want out. Why is that so bad? You're not ready, son. You'll never survive in this world on your own. We were doing just fine. For the love of God, kid. Your faces are all over every news publication throughout the state. You dismembered a police officer, ravaged a family, stole more cars than you would ever need to, and managed to let yourself get filmed by every asshole with a phone across this state. Tracking you down was no trouble at all. You have no tact, kid. You're on a path leading nowhere. You should be happy to see me. Now you're coming with me, whether or not I have to force you. No, we're not. Let go of me, kid. Dude, sit down. He'll rip you in half. I'm sick of this. The running, the fear, the struggling. You have no right. You don't own us. I'd rather die than go back with you. Is that so? Dude, dude, what are you doing, man? I never asked to be like this. I never asked to live this way. This is all his fault. You should all be grateful. All I've given you. Oh, thank God. Joe, it's time. With you out here like this? Charlie, let me ask you something. Who's watching the rest of the family? They would never leave me like you have. They would never betray me in such a way. I wouldn't be so sure. What? You think this was our entire plan? Just the two of us to run off like this? My children, you couldn't. You wouldn't. You're so easy to lure out here, away from your friends and your lackeys. It wasn't easy, undoing all the abuse and mind games you had them imprisoned under. But when we offered them more than you ever could? When we promised them freedom and all the food they could ever need? I was good to you. You had no one, and I took you in. You were a tyrant. We were your slaves. I loved you. You were my children. We are nobody's children.
Tuesdays with Gory has been a presentation of Moss Tapes. For more information, please visit www.mosstapes.com.